friends, fans, and followers, and welcome to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall, and before we get to our guest today, who I am beside myself with excitement about, I want to tell you something else that I have been so stoked about for the past week or so. If you follow me on Instagram, which if you don't, I'm at Darlene.coach, but if you do, you've probably already heard me talk about this thing I am obscenely over the moon beyond myself excited about. Um, earlier this year, the research uh, market research firm Mintel published their data set for the fitness industry from 2021. And that data set is showing that the number one reason that people are exercising, wait for it, is for their mental and emotional well-being. The number two reason that people have started practicing the beautiful art that is movement is for their physical well-being, which means that mental and emotional well-being and physical well-being now top how you look as a reason to exercise. So why does this matter? We've talked on this show before about the way that weight-focused and aesthetics-focused fitness industry marketing makes affects people negatively. Um, if you haven't listened to that episode, you could go back to episode 116, where I interview Aaron Lada, and we specifically dive into this topic. But short version, when we are focusing on working out just for our aesthetics, we're less consistent, we're less happy when we do get results. Um, and overall, we're less likely to continue after we hit our initial goal, which doesn't mean that it's really helping us all long term. Um, I've had this conversation with people at all levels of the fitness industry in the decade that I've worked in this space, from industry leaders, from club owners and operators, all the way down to individual trainers and coaches who work one-on-one -on -one with clients. I have been told up and down the board that you have to market weight loss in order to be successful in the fitness industry, that the reason is that if you're going to try to sell gym memberships, personal training, nutrition coaching, wellness coaching, you name it, you can only sell it if you focus on how people look. And this study shows us that that is just plain wrong. Maybe it used to be true, but it's not true anymore. And this study also shows us that people are waking up to the other incredible things that having a meaningful movement practice does for us all. And I am all about that, like diving into the connection with your body and using that as an anchor for your well-being is my jam. It's why I get out of bed in the morning. I'm beyond excited for this report. And I bet that my guest today is also super excited to hear that. I don't know if she already knew about it, but we're going to find out in a second. My guest today is Dr. Mallory Fox. She is a movement powerhouse. She's got every kind of cert you can think of. She is also an NASM certified wellness coach. She's a certified personal trainer. She's an NASM master instructor. She has a master's degree in human movement, a doctorate in health science. She is the founder of Foxy Fit. She's also got one of my favorite Instagram feeds and not gonna lie, kind of got one of those girl crushes where you're just like, wow, that woman is cool. And today I get to meet her and pick her beautiful brain Dr. Mallory Fox, welcome to the Better Than Fine podcast. Hi, Darlene. Thank you so much for that generous introduction. Um, I just feel so excited to be here. And um, the girl crush is mutual. I think you are such an incredible voice in the fitness industry. And um, thank you for your dedication to sharing wellness and um, the latest research. I was so stoked. I was actually watching your video right before I popped on to record um, about the latest um, 
information in the health and wellness industry and focusing on how we feel um, over what we look like. So yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on. And I know today we're going to talk about mindful movement, but I feel like we've got so many other tangents we should go on. Uh, so I want to dive right into that. And I want to start by, you know, I feel like those of us who work in the wellness space specifically, right? Like there's plenty of people who work in fitness that have their own stories, but there's something about the wellness journey where I feel like to do this work, like nobody steps into being a wellness coach because they want to get rich, right? Like we become wellness coaches because we're called to it. And typically it's by our own wellness journey. So I want to invite you to start by just, can you share the journey with us that you've been on? Cause I know like it's been, a, it's been a road for you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, for that invitation. And that's what I really love about wellness coaching is finding out my clients' stories. Um, I think that in the past, the fitness industry is really focused on um, programs that um, apply to everyone. And I think the difference for me with wellness coaching is that it's so client-centered and preferences and, and whatnot. So I could go on that tangent forever, but <laughs> <laughs> to explain a little bit about my story, um, I learned how to swim before I could walk. So I started as a competitive swimmer when I was about five after swimming in the backyard, growing up in Arizona, there are pools everywhere. So I was very fortunate that my parents had me in um, rescue swimming training and I, I took to it like a duck to water. And that gave me a really strong base in fitness. I competed until I finished high school and then I chose to focus more on academics in college. And I've always been quite a nerd. So um, it's driven me to learn new things. And that's what's um, brought me through the different certifications through NASM and other organizations. And um, in 2013, I started my own business. I'd worked at a huge uh, nationwide chain and decided as I was putting myself through grad school, it would be a great idea to start my own business at the same time. And um, I did that because I wasn't happy with how I could help people in a corporate setting. I wanted to have more freedom to you know, give my clients um, top service and really cater to them. And so that's what I do here at Foxy Fit. And um, my journey took another turn uh, just a little over four years ago. I was teaching yoga at my husband's Air National Guard base. He's a career military guy. And so mm. I would go in a couple times a week and teach mindfulness and yoga and to the, the people who are working at the base. And I was driving from the base to my office and I was rear-ended. Oh. At the time, I thought um, my actual thought as my head was hitting the steering wheel was that I didn't have time for that accident that day. I had a full day of clients. Oh, spoken like a true fitness professional. <laughs> and you know, I that mindset of getting everything done, like every day, like marking items off of my to-do list. You know, I'd already taught yoga. I'd already worked out. I'd gotten up at 4 a.m. to get my workout in and then go teach, be at the base by 6 a.m. And then I had, I think, 10 clients scheduled that day. And most days I was taking the 10 minutes in between sessions to quickly eat a power bar, sip some water. You know, I, I really wasn't taking good care of my well-being. 
but I was very fit at the time. And I thought this is just the way that it is. I'd learned that mindset and that approach as a competitive athlete. And um, it was really all that I knew about health and fitness was to push my body as hard as I could to be all things to all people. And, um, and it was a, looking back on it, it was a really difficult way to live, but it got me a lot of great results. So after I um, had the car accident, I was diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury. And we found out about six weeks later that I'd gone blind in my left eye sometime. And what was really challenging about all of that is I just wanted a time frame. Like my doctors, I had an incredible team of doctors and therapists. And my first question was, will I make a full recovery? And my second question was, you know, when can I expect that to happen? And I could talk about this all day, but every brain injury is different (laughs) and every person is different. And the way that I approached my recovery uh, by pushing myself to my limit every single moment of the day actually worked against me in recovering from my injuries from the car accident. So um, that led me into the wellness industry. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that so vulnerably. I know, I know from following you on social that you're always down to, to share. And I, I have so many areas that we could follow up and explore on. Um, first, I just want to invite the listener. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm the host, Arlene Marshall. My guest is Dr. Mallory Fox. We're going to talk about mindful movement, but right now I want to just resonate back to you. You know, I feel like that while the event of the car accident was obviously singular, I know so many fitness professionals who approach exactly what you're describing, right? Like this life where you're seeing clients before they go to work, after they go to the work, you've got the split day, you've got 10 sessions and you're teaching class and you're just chomping bars. You sleep for four hours, you rinse and repeat six days a week until they have an inciting event that knocks them out of that cycle. And the mindset of rise and grind, the way that it doesn't serve us as, as, as human beings, but also as like an industry and as practitioners. Yeah, I could talk about that topic for days. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was about four months into my recovery that I hit a huge wall mentally and emotionally. And, you know, what I was doing wasn't working. And I was actually feeling worse after four months of working so hard on my recovery. I was feeling worse than I had immediately after the accident. And I had to to have a huge shift in my mindset and really even in my belief system of, okay, this has worked for me up to this point in my life. It had made me really successful in many different areas. And it suddenly was working against me. Um, It went against everything I'd ever been you know, experienced and um, everything that I believed and everything that I taught my clients. And so it was really, um, really different. But that's ultimately what led me into mindful movement. Yeah, um, I find that, you know, I know for me, whenever I've had a a big injury or, or something that really derails me, it makes me more compassionate to my clients the next time around that I come to a client that's had that that moment of struggle was like, oh, I thought I knew what I was doing about that. But now that I'm here myself, I mm-hmm. understand it even more deeply. 
Um, and I, and I hear you resonating with that. So I just want to call that out. So you mentioned mindful movement. Yes, that's what we're here to talk about. Anybody who listens to the show knows that I love to go down rabbit holes and tangents. But um, can you just describe for us, what does mindful movement mean to you? Because I see that phrase thrown around. I know I know it from the meditation space, but now the fitness space has started using it. Like what do you, when you say mindful movement, what do you mean? Yeah. So when I talk about mindful movement, um, I really think about a way that I want to feel when I'm moving my body rather than a destination or a goal that I'm trying to get to. And the way that I got there is, um, you know, as I was recovering from the brain injury, from losing my eyesight, I was out of work for several months. And uh, one of my doctors told me that I needed to manage my stress better. And my immediate thought was, you know, when I get well, then I won't be as stressed. Like I'm stressed mm. right now because I can't drive, I can't work. You know, there are all of these external factors that are contributing to stress. And um, I had tried meditation before and, you know, I'd actually gotten a certification from ASU in, in mindfulness and meditation, but I was never good at it. And I put that mm. in quotes for anyone listening because like everything else, I had this expectation that I could become really good at anything I put my mind to. But for whatever reason, calming my mind was not something that I was able to become good at. Um, <laughs> and spoiler alert, there really is no <laughs> good meditation. Um, when we are working, you know, so hard just to survive every day and we have really busy full lives. It's kind of requiring so much the brain, you know, naturally won't just calm down just because you decide to meditate for a few minutes. Well, so. And also, don't you think like the idea of being soft quotes good at something implies that like there's a binary good bad or there's a right and wrong way and we're so conditioned by our Western society to approach everything right that, right? Like there's gotta be a winner and a loser. There's gotta be a right answer. You know, you you filled out the C bubble and not the A bubble. So you got the question wrong. And, you know, for, for me, I feel like whether we're talking about meditation, we're talking about mindfulness, like what we're talking about is like showing up for whatever's up, right? And like, there's not a wrong way to be in your human experience. 100%. And I had heard those words before, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't believe them and yeah. I hadn't lived them and experienced them. So I'm very much, I will read, you know, I went on vacation for two weeks and I read 15 books while I was away. Nice. I read all the books. I will listen to all the podcasts. I will take all the courses. And so I know a lot of things but I've found it such an incredibly different experience when you live through it. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and that is why, you know, for someone like me, I fidget a lot. Um, doing a seated meditation is very hard for me, even after practicing it for several years. And so I thought, how can I take the elements of mindfulness and apply it to something that doesn't drive me crazy? <laughs> and it became mindful movement for me. And so I would go for a walk and rather than listen to, you know, music while doing math in my head or planning my day, you know, the 10 different things I would try to do while moving my body, 
I tried to focus on just the experience of being in my body while I walked down the block. And um, after brain injury and losing eyesight in one eye, it was it took all of my energy to actually just focus on the experience of being in my body. And I was miserable. I hated it. <laughs> it was awful. Yeah. When I wasn't yeah. just in my brain, it was like, this is, this is like torture. So yeah. I think for anybody who's never had a traumatic brain, brain injury, it's really hard to imagine. Like I've, I've had five concussions and post-concussion syndrome as well. And the level of fatigue that you experience when your brain just cannot process the information Um, When I finally went to work after my post-concussion syndrome, riding the subway for 30 minutes, I was exhausted as if I had not slept in, you know, an entire day of being overstimulated. It was incredible what it does to you when you're post-traumatic brain injury. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that you've had (laughs) an experience. And I've I've found too with this, you don't understand it really unless you've lived it. Yeah, Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, I can really relate to what you shared. Yeah. So you'd mentioned a moment ago that, um, you know, for you, mindful movement had to do with how you wanted to feel. And I hear you describing, you know, like, okay, I'll just be present for the morning walk or be hyper-focused because you needed to be because of the the, brain healing. Um, But I think a lot of people, when they think about like emotion or subjective based movement, it feels confusing to them because so much of what we talk about in the movement space is like, okay, I'm going to give you this program to get this outcome. And I know, at least for me, when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, but, but tell me the what to do because it's too, it's too big in a lot of ways. Does that make sense as a question? (laughs) Yeah, it really does. And, and I, I can relate to, you know, what, what you're asking, because I went through that experience myself of, okay, well, if my entire life, I've always moved my body to reach a goal, you know, starting from a very young age of, you know, competitive swimming, we would train, you know, in the beginning, an hour a day. But by the time I was in high school, we had two workouts a day, you know, about four hours at swim practice a day. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in the health and fitness industry, that's, you know, I've used the OPT model and I would create programs and I'd be able to tell clients, if you do X, Y, and Z, you should reach your goal in this time frame. And, you know, there were opportunities to assess and reset. And so it's, um, you know, essentially it, it feels more transactional, but coming from a wellness or a mindfulness perspective, it really does shift from an outcome-based program and into a process-based program, which is what I loved. I finished the certified wellness coach certification this spring. Um, I think it was March or April. I loved it because that was an area that personally I I needed to grow in. Um, It feels still very foreign to me sometimes to reset my own expectations for, for my movement program, as well as, you know, to teach my clients and, um, and help coach them to what they want to achieve. Yeah. And, and peek behind the curtain. Um, we, you know, the design of the program, I, I worked on that section. That was, that was like my baby. Um, it was you did an amazing job by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank yes. you. I appreciate it. I was not fishing for compliments, but I do appreciate the compliment. Um, and it, it was a challenge for the original team designing that section before, before I got plugged into it. 
because so many people that they were trying to collaborate with were from a personal training background and didn't really have the language and the tools to describe exactly what you just described. Um, and it was, uh, you know, I, I happened to get asked to be hop on a call and I suggested they go speak with Kelly McGonigal and the rest is history. And, and so that became an evolution point um, and quick plug for NASM Optima, Kelly McGonigal is our keynote speaker and I'm beyond excited uh, for between her and your section on um, mindful movement. And we're gonna have a lot of, of I think paradigm shifters at NASM Optima when it comes to this specific conversation about movement. Um, but I want to reset for the listener. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. My guest today is Dr. Mallory Fox. We're talking about mindful movement. What does that even mean? And how do we practice it? It's a, it's a, a new puzzle. If you come from the traditional gym environment where if you're working with a personal trainer, they're writing you a program, Maybe you're going to your spin class and the you know, instructor's telling you exactly what tempo to ride at and what intensity, you know, if we let that go, Mallory, how is this different in practice? Like, what does this look like when you're working with someone on moving mindfully? Oh, goodness. I wish I... <laughs> Ha, big bomb. <laughs> right, I wish I had a succinct answer because like as a person, I love those straightforward go from A to Z types of answers, but I I don't have that because every person is unique and every person has, you know, their unique backgrounds. The um the CWC course went so well into all of the different aspects of wellness and all of the different um, uh, differences in each person that contribute to program compliance. And so I guess what I would say is I try to really listen to my clients, especially, you know, in the first few weeks of getting to know someone. Um, and you've probably experienced this. I know that you've coached hundreds of people individually and thousands in groups, but um, you, you might've experienced too, that people come to you, the expert to get that, you know, magic program. Yeah. And so when I start asking clients questions, sometimes they're really surprised. And then often um, they're pleased that I'm asking questions, but often they're like, wait a second. <laughs> Aren't you going to tell me what to do? Give me the answer. <laughs> yeah. I describe it as like people come into the coaching conversation wanting you to be the fitness switch, right? They're just like, oh, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm like, well, that's not really how this works. Um, yes. And especially if people are stuck, they really just want you to like wave the magic wand and like mind trick them. You know, like you're a Jedi and then they're just going to like do the thing. It's like... That's not how lasting and meaningful change works, my friend. Um, we're going to try to do something different than that thing that you've done over and over and over for decades where someone tells you what to do and you do it for a couple of months and then you just go back to whatever the heck you were doing before. Yeah. So let's try something else because that clearly doesn't work. And, you know, what I have more insight on now because I lived it is, you know, as the person who wasn't meeting my goals in the time frame that I expected, I had so much self-blame, shame. You know, I was making it so much harder for myself when I held myself to those those deadlines and those expectations and uh, that old belief system. So, you know, when clients come in, 
you know, initially, that's another thing that I really try to listen for. You know, what are their expectations? Um, do they believe that they can do it? Or, you know, have they tried and failed several times? And, and now their self-efficacy has, you know, deteriorated. And I think that's what I really focus on with, with wellness coaching is building up someone's belief in themselves to, to do hard things. And then also um, letting people know, okay, if you don't like this exercise, I can, there are thousands of exercises I can give you. Uh, if you don't like, you know, if you don't feel good with this amount of sleep, let's adjust and, or send you to a sleep specialist, you know, really coordinating, um, all of the different aspects of wellness that could be getting in the way of making the habit changes that people want to make because it's such a multi-dimensional, um, multi-dimensional person in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I hear you saying is not only listening to what the client is specifically saying, but the emotional undertone, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the, there's so much shame, blame, guilt, like you were describing, you weren't hitting those benchmarks and we're going to naturally have an emotional reaction to the, okay, I've running this program that I've run before and this is supposed to work. Right. And then it doesn't. And how does that change the way that we feel about ourselves? Mm -hmm. um, and then helping the client work through those like self projections and the, the psychology of that. Um, in order to make better and more informed choices for themselves, as opposed to us just being like, okay, today you're going to go, you know, today's deadlift day. And then you're going to go walk on the treadmill, even though you didn't sleep last night or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, a re, you know, it might be a weird analogy, but I'll just say it. because it. Oh, it, welcome. Please. We like the weird on this show. Love it. I'm very weird. So that's great. Um, yeah. You know, it's almost like reparenting someone. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up as an athlete, you know, I had amazing coaches and, you know, they really paved the way, like, you know, and they also held space for the meets that didn't go as planned. And so that's like how I try to um, approach things with clients. Like, you know, when there is a hiccup in the road, because there will always be hiccups in the road, how do we come back from it? you know, what, what could we learn from it and how can we move forward? And, you know, I kind of think of, you know, how, how parents do such a great job of that with their children. Um, kids fall down all the time and then they learn how to get right back up and keep going. I appreciate so much the amount of positive framing that you're bringing to the conversation, because I feel like the other thing that, that we encounter in the industry so often is just like a tick list of everything that people are doing wrong, right? Um, I think earlier today, I made a comment on someone's uh, Instagram post, just asking for like, oh, hey, can you tell me what study this is based on? Like in the post, you say research, like what research? And they jump down my throat for just asking, just asking for more information or more clarity because people are just trying to be right as opposed to letting one another be people, right? And I hear that. And that's such a common, you know, it's, that's rampant in our industry. Yeah. And so when I see people who are, you know, citing sources and who are open to a conversation, like that's what I'm really drawn to. And that's why I was so honored that you asked me to come chat with you today. Yeah. You really live that. And that's what I aspire to as well. Mm -hmm. 
I could get onto a tangent about this, but it seems like in the fitness and wellness industry and really the entire world, everyone is trying to get more views and more likes. And um, sometimes the really controversial, the really restrictive, those are the things that go viral. And um, that makes me really sad from a human standpoint of the people who are consuming content that unfortunately is not based in science. It's not based in, you know, evidence-based practice. It's, it worked for someone <laughs> who then posted about it. And then, you know, millions of people are like, oh, I'm going to try that too. Um, and yeah. that's, I think as, as fitness and wellness pro professionals, it's so important. So thanks to everyone who's listening because, you know, by investing in your education and um, being willing to learn and try something different, it's so powerful. And I know it's also really hard to do. It was very hard for me to let go of what I knew worked for me at one point in my life and try a different approach. And um, it was very scary. So if you're listening to this and you are like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this and you're not sure, we're going to give you some tools in just a second. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. My guest is Dr. Mallory Fox. We're talking about mindful movement. So let's invite those listeners to experience you know, their own personal experiments around mindful movement. So earlier you'd said that for you, the root of, of well, let's talk about mindfulness, right? It's just being present in your human experience. And then you talked about mindful movement being about more about the subjective experience than it was about some kind of outcome oriented, you know, exercisey business. So if someone's able to go like, okay, yeah, mindfulness, I'm, I'm present in my body. I don't want to just sit on a cushion for 20 minutes. That doesn't sound very good. And they're able to identify, like, maybe they want to feel ease or joy or happiness or humor or, you know, connection, pick a, pick a variable here. What's next for that person in, in their pursuit of, of trying this mindful movement thing we're talking about? So the first step really is to just get present, as you mentioned, to the experience. And it might be going for a walk without headphones or, you know, leaving phone behind or in a pocket at least. Um, it could be what, what I tried to do is I went back to um, when I grew up in the pool. And when you're swimming in the pool, you can't be on your cell phone reading news articles or, <laughs> or talking to anyone. You're, it's a very solitary experience. And so um, that's how I started with mindful movement was, you know, getting into a space that um, I was supported in not getting so distracted um, another tip that I, that I try to give people is to just use any of the five senses. So, you know, if you think about, you know, you walk into a gym and you'll see people with headphones on. Um, sometimes you'll see people reading a book. Sometimes you'll see people who are, you know, talking during a set and that's all great. Um, but it seems like, and I know that I did this, um, I would do anything to avoid that experience of what it felt like to work out. Um, mm -hmm. I would try to distract myself from how sore my legs were or how, you know, tired my biceps would get. Um, you know, we, we tend to do that day by day. Um, and so, you know, I encourage people to take just a couple of minutes and try to tune in rather than tuning the body out. 
Yeah, here, you know, not not escaping from the experience of having a body. Yeah. Right. I know for me, I I will be the first one to tell you I hate running on a treadmill. You <laughs> cannot pay me enough to run on a treadmill. The I also used to work for a big national gym chain in New York City, and um, we would have like these all all the trainer fitness competitions every month. And whenever it was a treadmill one, my friend Jared would stand next to the treadmill and sing to me to distract me because I just hate it so much. If I have to, I have to have something in my ear, but you're saying like, okay, it also sounds like maybe that would not be my mindful movement practice. <laughs> like wrong answer. <laughs> and but finding something I don't hate. <laughs> but thank you for that example, because I think that is so, that is so normal. I also hate the treadmill and I know so many people who hate the treadmill. And so if, if you're someone who's wanting to try mindful movement, I would just ask you, what movement do you enjoy? Like if you're on vacation and you have no agenda, what would you do? How would you move your body? And um, that's like a question that can help people kind of tap into, oh, you know, I'd play with my kids or I'd take my dog for a walk or I would, you know, just stretch because my back hurts or, you know, something like that. And that's a way rather than what we should do of running on a treadmill and burning calories or beating all of the other trainers in a competition. <laughs> there we go. I was like, I don't care about calories. I care about winning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not very fast, so I did not win. But I think <laughs> what I hear in there, you know, when I, when I work with a client and they can't tell me how they want to feel, right? Most of the time people can tell you what they don't want, but it then becomes this exploration, right? Like, well, let's start exploring different emotional experiences or subjective experiences and see what we can cultivate that resonates for you. And it sounds like this, a similar tool would be useful here where it's like, if you're not sure, if we're saying like, well, how do you want to feel in your body? And you don't know what lends toward that. To me, that's then like your current process is exploration. Like, let's get curious. What, what can you try that will, that will feel interesting. And then we can get more and more curious about what are those sensations and how do they affect you and how do they affect your day and your mood and your like process of being a person. That is such a great tool. Thank you for sharing that. Cause it's, it can be really challenging when someone doesn't know. And I've, I've been in that experience myself where it's like, Hmm, I don't know. I just don't want to be this. <laughs> Yeah. Well, especially post, post injury, post, you know, health thing, like people with stuff was always, I don't, I hate the phrase special population. So I said people with stuff because everybody's got stuff. Um, but you know, when you've had, you know, chronic illness, catastrophic injury, like you or I have had it, it coming back from that, you're in a body that is different than the before time. And you don't necessarily, the things that you see, like, I'm impressed that you went back to swimming because I know for me, when I had the onset of my um, genetic disorder at its worst in my 20s, the last thing I wanted to do was play the sports I played when I was well, because it was emotionally painful to not be able to be like a high performance athlete um, in the way that I had been before. So I'm, I'm so impressed that that was something that you could hold space for in that moment, because I had essentially the opposite experience. Well, thank you for saying that in your vulnerability. And, you know, I, I didn't do it on my own. I had incredible therapists who helped me to get there uh, mentally and emotionally. 
And, you know, to be really honest, it's four years later and I still have, you know, that emotional loss and um, really the grief process. Um, my body abilities aren't what they were before. They aren't what they were my entire life. And um, I did go through a period where, you know, I hit rock bottom and I was like, well, if I can't run marathons anymore, if I can't, you know, deadlift 300 pounds, then what's the mm. point? And so mindful movement and, you know, a whole lot of other incredible professionals supporting me um, have gotten me to this point where, um, you know, I can be creative and curious and, and find new ways to move my body in a way that feels good. And some days it's easier than others. <laughs> I had um, on vacation, I had, you know, some some sadness over if I, you know, bike on the boardwalk, I'll get a migraine now. Um, and so I tried it and I got a migraine and I was really sad and, um, I took the day to take care of myself and the next morning I was like, let's reset, like what will feel good today. And I think that's something that, um, that I would just recommend people try. Um, and it's, it's okay to fail and set yourself up with, um, lots of ideas. So I make a list now of here are things that I can do when I feel great here are things that I can try when I feel okay. And then here are some things that I can do like when I'm having a really bad day. Like if I wake up with a migraine, um, I'm not naturally going to think of, okay, let's, you know, stretch and, you know, breathe. So I'll look at my list. And I'm like, oh yeah, I could try this right now. A way to move my, my body that will help me to take care of myself today. Yeah, we thrown, we've said the word vulnerability a number of times today, but um, I, I not only want to thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that ongoing struggle and, and kind of what's gotten you here, and also my compassion that you're going through it, um, but also to illustrate, you know, you are a highly qualified fitness professional with an exceptional education, and to come on this show and share that you are still actively in that process of relearning how to navigate a body that is just changing with you and receiving, you know, therapy or whatever other treatment in your team to the listener hearing that. I think it's such an empowering illustration in my opinion of like, Hey, being a human is a process of life and living that continues to shape and evolve. And what, what Mallory just said that I really want to drive home to the listener is, you know, it, it actually reminds me of an Ani DeFranco lyric. Your egos are like hairdos. They're different every day, depending on how you slept the night before, especially mine. Um, you know, your, your body is going to be different every day, depending on what's happened to it recently and chronically and over the course of a lifetime and being mindful of that body then empowers us all to be adaptive and more patient and more compassionate with ourselves so that we can show up in whatever ability that we're able to that day, that moment, that situation. And so Mallory, I just want to thank you for, for sharing that with all of us because it's, it's just hitting, it's hitting me deep, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. And thank you for sharing so beautifully. I'm really excited to go back and re-listen to what you just said, because I think it's so important. Um, you know, we're human. 
all of us, uh, whether it's me, the fitness professional, or you know, a client that I'm working with, we're all human. And I think that it's easy to lose sight of that. Um, you know, often as a fitness professional, I felt pressure to, if I don't have the answer, to find the answer. Or and make one up. <laughs> I have definitely felt the pressure to make one up in my time as a fitness professional. Yeah, because people are paying us lots of money to have the answers. And you know what I learned in my own journey is that there isn't a right answer day to day. Um, And, you know, while I had an injury that brought on a whole lot of things, um, and I am on a path where I'm still struggling to kind of make sense of it. Um, and to, to move forward, that happens to, to everyone to some degree as we age, as life circumstances, like having children or, you know, caring for a sick parent, um, you know, it's, it's part of the human journey. And so it's, um, I think, important to talk about those things. And, you know, hearing other people share their stories really helped me especially in the first couple of years after my accident. So it's really an honor to be able to share. Um, and I'm very open. So if people have questions or want to just chat, you know, feel free to, to reach out. Well, I think that is a nice place for us to button and, and wrap it up. Then if someone was going to reach out, where can they find you? Nari? <laughs> I'm on Instagram a lot. I've actually taken a little bit of time off of Instagram this summer to focus more on my mental health and well-being. But I am on Instagram a lot. I'm at Dr. Foxy Fit. And my website is a great place to check out to get in touch with me. And that's um, bfoxyfit.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on the show. And for anybody who's listening to the show and you dig it, you dig what we're doing here. Well, I hope that you're going to subscribe wherever you're listening. If you are on YouTube, can you give us a like, give us a follow, maybe drop us a comment. Uh, And if you want to reach out to me, I would love to hear any feedback, any questions, any episode suggestions, pretty much anything that you want to shoot my way. I am on Instagram. I'm darlene.coach. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find there. And I just got on TikTok. I'm Coach Dar on TikTok, so don't miss me. I think I'm Coach Darlene, excuse me, on TikTok. I'm easy to find. You can find me on the internet. I'm everywhere. Um, And of course, if you want to support the show, one of the best things you could do is leave us a five-star review. There are now review spots on Spotify. That's something new in the world. So don't hesitate wherever you're listening to give us a little boost. And thanks.